Welcome to Career Crossroads Uncorked, a series of member chats inspired by good drinks and current talent acquisition trends. Your hosts, Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin, break down today's recruiting headlines while reviewing a select beverage of choice with industry leaders and influencers. Join us for a drink and conversation. Welcome, everybody, to Career Crossroads Uncorked. We've got a pretty exciting uh, session today. We've got a couple of folks on. I'm Chris Hoyt, obviously, with Career Crossroads. And I have on the line, of course, Jerry Crispin. Jerry, say hello. Hey, hello. <laughs> and today's guest on Uncorked uh, is Nick Maley of Intuit. Nick, a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much, Chris and Jerry, for uh, for having me. I... Uh, lead talent acquisition for Intuit, which is a company that makes QuickBooks and TurboTax. Cool. And how long have you been there? I have been working at Intuit forever. Uh, I've been here for <laughs> 10 years. And in uh, Silicon Valley, we call that a tree hugger, someone uh, holding on to that, uh, <laughs> that company for dear life. That's, uh, I love Intuit. I wouldn't say I'm hanging on to it for dear life, just passionate about what we're trying to accomplish. So uh, as, we, as we do on Uncorked, uh, we'll spend today talking a little bit about uh, somebody's favorite topic within talent acquisition, but we'll do it over a drink with friends. Uh, and so, Nick, you're the guest. You got to pick the wine. Tell us a little bit about the, the wine you picked for us. Sure. So I picked Justin Asasalis. And uh, what, what was important beyond loving the wine, for me, it's just uh, remembering uh, experience in, in the past and spending time with uh, friends and family. And it, uh, I'm out in the West Coast, but I grew up on the East Coast in Rhode Island. Um, have a good sized family of um, brothers. It's rare that they actually come out to visit, um, but um, so a number of years ago, we got them to come out and uh, we all went down to Paso Robles and uh, we went wine tasting. And um, I always remember just uh, descending on uh, one winery, Justin, and we all fell in love with Sausalis. I honestly just really think about just being with, uh, with my brothers and uh, enjoying, cool. enjoying this wine. It's great. I, um, you actually picked the wine that uh, is right into my sweet spot in terms of what I like. I, I love blends. Number one, this is kind of a Bordeaux blend, but it also has a strong uh, Cabernet uh, front to it. And Cabernet is my favorite grape from that perspective. Um, it's not the cheapest wine, you know, so it's not, it's a little more special uh, from that point of view for most people. Uh, and if you're rich, it's, it's obviously at the lower end. So, so the point is, it's, uh, it, it is a wine that is affordable. Um, I kind of like it. It uh, has a lot of, uh, for me, fruit, uh, particularly blackberry and that kind of thing, and, um, and and some side notes with a lot of spices and stuff. So I enjoy it. It's a nice, relaxing kind of thing. And wine wine spectator loves this wine, by the way. Uh, they give it a ninety three. So so fundamentally, you're getting a a better quality wine that a lot of the people who like wines really enjoy. Yeah, just uh, if you're swirling it on the table, your mic's picking it up. So just FYI, it's getting the glass. There. So I'll cut that out. Okay. And I've been swirling <laughs> it. It's been good. 
Jerry, I, I, I just learned a lot about wine from you. So thank you. <laughs> so I, I did cheat. I, I looked this up a little bit because I do, I have come to really like blends in the last few years. And I, I'm not really sure what that means, except when I order it, I get a blend and, and I, you know, I get a wine that I enjoy more. But I looked it up and I've got the notes in front of me. So this one uh, is 75% uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and 16% Cabernet Franc and 9% Merlot. Wow. So that's, that's the mix on this. Um, and my uh, incredibly remedial taste buds. Uh, I, I do get, um, I'm getting more of this lately. So I don't know if I'm getting more refined or just more of an alcoholic, but uh, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, tobacco in it and leather. Those are the two things. Lord. <laughs> oh, you're faking that kind of a palate. I do get that. You don't get that. Somebody just randomly puts those number those those phrases in those kinds of things. But I, I don't get I don't get pencil shavings. I don't get uh, you know earth, earth and grass. Uh, but I do get a little tobacco out of that. You guys don't get that. The key point is anybody on this podcast, if you're not drinking a little bit of Justin Isosceles, you should go out and get some. <laughs> and we're talking sixty-eight, seventy-two bucks a bottle, right? Yeah. 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 So make sure you like the people you're drinking it with. <laughs> That's for sure. So, uh, Nick, the last couple of years, you've sort of earned a reputation of a guy who's really behind technology and, and sort of uh, uh, bending process uh, to your will uh, to, you know, to sort of take advantage of technology to, to really do what you want it to do and to help your recruiters move a little faster, a little farther, a little, you know, a little better. Uh, what, what are you thinking today from a topic standpoint? Yeah, I, I think I shared with you that I can talk about and um, would like to, to review sort of machine learning, automation, and uh, I think uh, some of our experiments and trade-offs and learnings along the way, uh, particularly as a leader um, of, a, of a good-sized organization. And I think some of the things we've needed to do to kind of go down this road um, and, um, uh, some of the, yeah, I think we talked about some of the pitfalls and, um, I, I think that might be helpful for folks. It's, um, you know, doing these things, it's, uh, as I look back on it, it's, it's not something that, um, is up and to the right and, you know, you quickly just get something implement and plug and play and then you go, I think it's been more like, uh, zigzagging as we go, trying to figure this out. Um, and, um, you know, I hope at least for folks that are, are looking at it that, um, you know, I can share some insights sort of how, how we've approached it, uh, what we thought was important, um, some of the trade-offs you have to make as a, as a leader of an organization, um, you know, uh, some of the interdependencies. Um, and um, and things to be be aware of, and um, I, I think um, I think also sort of encourage of your conviction through it all, right? Because it's not and that that's a, that's a good point. That conviction issue. I mean, what hits me about you is that at some point, I don't know when it was, and I I really like to ask you, um, at what point did you decide? You know, I really need to take control of this vision yeah. uh, 
because there's a shitload of I, maybe that's a, not the appropriate com- comment, but there's a the lot of conversation going out there, a lot of hype, um, and forgetting the you know the current um, uh, silver bullet out there. Everybody has been out there engaging in a lot of hype about what you should do as a talent acquisition leader. And at some point, it seemed to me that the talent acquisition leaders need to take back control and say, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. And I, I noted that you did that about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know if there was a moment at which you realized, you know, I need to be able to deal with what I think we should be doing, not what everybody else thinks we should be doing. Um. Yeah, that's a great question. And I do think it was about um, three, maybe it was four years ago. uh, We were looking at, as an organization, this is before where I even led uh, talent acquisition at Intuit, but I led a pretty big segment of of the business here. Uh, We looked at all of our priorities and there were like 24 things we were trying to accomplish. Uh, And you have to prioritize and narrow those things. Um, I think a big thing that bubbled to the top for for us at the time was, was systems, technology, and data. Got it. And instrumenting it. And um, at the time, we recognized we were on antiquated sort of technology. Uh, it would be very challenging for us to instrument that technology uh, in a way that allowed for more automation for us to uh, to work more seamlessly. Clearly, the data was uh, that was in the system was hard to extract, and um, it was very difficult for us to um, report out on, quite frankly, how we were performing in a number of areas. So some very, very foundational things were, were broken from my perspective in it. Um, by the way, there's a list of like 20 other things that, uh, that needed to be fixed in the whole scheme of things. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to narrow because we have a finite number of uh, resources, as do all organizations. We are all constrained from an HR perspective by, um, you know, by budgets. We're not necessarily uh, revenue generating functions for most organizations. You have a finite budget. And within that budget, you have to determine what are the major priorities um, that you're going to stack your resources against. And I think it's like anything else from a planning perspective. You look at what are the things you're going to invest in that will accelerate your business? And what are those enabling business functions, those things you have to do year in and year out? Um, and, um, you know, you then have to sort of, uh, you know, balance where you're going to make the investments and look at where also you're going to make those trade-offs. And, um, yeah, so going back a number of years, just said, we can't do all of these things. What's most important? And let's narrow on them. From there, uh, it was really looking at the TA organization uh, and sort of determining what was the customer benefit that we deliver to the company. Uh, what is it that uh, Intuit hires us to do? Um, and when you really break it down, I don't think this is, quite frankly, different from most companies. It's top quality talent. It's uh, ensuring that we hire people at speed. 
So at the, in the time to, to meet business objectives. And then lastly, it's experience. It's experience for your customers, which are usually internal managers, but you also need to provide um, strong experience for candidates, for the people you're trying to attract to your organization. I think understanding the customer benefits is important because it really allows you to narrow on what it is that you're solving for when you start to prioritize invest in uh, certain business areas. Um, and when, when you have 20 or 30 some odd things that, if you will, need to be invested in um, and you don't have the resources um, to uh, stack against all of them, having the customer benefit, narrowing on them, and then really determining what the priority is, just, you know, quite frankly, helps you, um, you know, if you will, be more decisive in um, clarify what it is that uh, you're going to invest in. And we did that for the organization a couple of years ago. Cool. So Nick, what, what does that mean from an execution standpoint? I mean, the prioritization obviously is, is key, right? You got to decide what you're going to, what you're going to put in and, and why you're going to put it in and, and what makes the most sense for the business. But from a delivery standpoint, and I, and I know some of the work uh, that you guys have done. You've been gracious enough to sort of share that with us over the years and, and, some, and some pretty exciting work. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the, um, uh, some of the executable aspects of that, like, like what you did work to put in, and even though it may have been a little aspirational, how I really think it's impacted the space, uh, whether you, you can be as humble as you like, but I, I do think it's inspiring work and sort of that journey. Sure. I'd love to. Um, I think the first thing we did is determine that um, technology and data were um, perhaps the biggest pain points that we had in um, our aspiration, um, which was recruiting is done. We would like to just take away the bureaucracy of, of recruiting, if you will, for hiring managers and deliver on great quality uh, you know, reduced speed of hire, which is literally eliminated uh, and ensure great experience. So, you know, foundationally for that, you need to develop a system, uh, technology that, quite frankly, um, uh, supports your business processes. So we went and investigated and looked at all of these products in the market and found that they're all pretty hot, hardwired and they didn't necessarily align or support the way in which we operated, the way in which we would go out to market and recruit, attract talent, uh, present talent internally, and ultimately hire it. And so uh, we then set on, uh, or down the road, if you will, to build um, our own experiences for our managers and for candidates. Um, we um, looked at partnering with one company. so. It was a hybrid model where we were building experiences while they were also developing uh, their ATS solution. At that time, it was largely focused on what are those things that we can automate and being very mindful of how you're instrumenting the solution because we knew in the future there was uh, information that we wanted to track. And I, if you just take a look at the recruiting industry, all of us have ATS systems, but they're instrumented in such a way with structured and unstructured data that it's very difficult to, to get at that data and leverage um, 
new solutions that sort of, um, uh, I would just say, unpack that data and make it more useful uh, for you. And, uh, you know, when you think about AI ML, you actually need to get at a lot of the unstructured data in particular. Um, well, I know you know this, but recruiters aren't great at tracking information. So as much as possible, we're defaulting to um, automating solutions. So um, I don't know how deep you want me to go. <laughs> well, I, I like to call out, so AI, you know, artificial intelligence and ML machine learning. I love the, the, the call out that that, that does not equate automation, like, right? And I, and I think that a lot of things, yeah, yeah. And I, I think a lot of what we're seeing done, done well so far is more recruiting automation than it is machine learning and it is AI. And, you know, my, my borderline inappropriate remark uh, since getting back from our trip in Japan last year, and I might've said this to you already also, is that, you know, I, I saw more artificial intelligence in some of the toilet seats in Japan uh, than I actually saw you know, on the trade floor at HR Tech that touted AI and, and ML. And the reason I like the work that you've done and, and sort of where your head is at, Nick, is that you, you realize there's a, a separation there and, and the big piece of what you're pushing for is to just automate some of that stuff and, and make it work. That's absolutely right. So when I break down your ATS solution, it doesn't support the business processes of sourcing and recruiting. You right. have to decide what solution best serves the work you're doing. Um, when I looked at what was happening at the top of the funnel, um, we saw lots of applicants, while people could be converted at a higher level, um, that wasn't really a priority for us. Um, in fact, what we see is a significant amount of applicants each year that apply that go unreviewed. We call this the black hole internally. And um, a bigger priority for us as a company was how do we uh, better leverage that black hole? How can we, um, you know, uh, get at sort of that untapped um, data information or applicant pool? Um, it's probably more important to us than converting people at the very top of the funnel. And why that's important today is that there's a lot of talk about AI technology that will help convert people. You can put in what's popular, these chat bots. You can put in a, a chat bot and increase your conversion rate, which sounds great, but really depending on the brand of your company and what your current applicant pool looks like or your active applicant pool looks like, that may not be a need you're trying to solve. So it might be cool and or trendy, but it might not be uh, solving something that's really important to you as a business. So in, in that instance, when we're looking at things top of the funnel, we look at uh, things that can be automated, look at simplifying the apply process, look at survey questions and different things that quite frankly can automate uh, recruiting at the very top, segment the data, segment candidates, if you will, into different functional areas. Um, and then from there, uh, we then look at what can be leveraged. And that's where we see AI can be, uh, I think, um, profoundly um, useful and even transformative in our work. 
Um, we find that if you have a solution that understands what uh, the top profiles are that you hire against, that you can very quickly match active candidates in a system um, to those profiles. And that's ultimately where we determined the real value was. It wasn't getting another applicant. In fact, I could care less if I ever got another active applicant. I mean, that's an extreme view. I care more about uh, whether or not these people that are coming into the funnel, the people that we're actively going after, are the right people that we're having conversations ultimately with high quality talent. And that's where we started really focusing our experiments uh, in the area of, uh, of AI. Career Crossroads Uncorked with Chris and Jerry. We'll be right back. Did you know that Career Crossroads is your source for unbiased talent acquisition, technology ratings, and reviews? All reviews are posted by Career Crossroads members based on their actual experiences. Our newly redesigned vendor ratings and reviews feature is now searchable by category, keyword, or vendor name. Career Crossroads Enterprise members have full access to this valuable database of information, including member discounts when available. Visit careercrossroads.com to learn more. Back to the show, Career Crossroads Uncorked, with Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at CareerXroads. I love that. I love that you're not talking about slamming in technology for the sake of, of having technology, right? Because we are seeing a lot of these chat bots pop up and, and some of them are implemented really well, but we're also seeing a lot that are just, that just seem to be implemented to just be implemented. Uh, right. And they, they don't seem to be focusing on what the real objective in mind was, or, or maybe there was even no, uh, no thought up front as to what they were supposed to solve for other than just trying to be sexy on the front end of a career site. Yeah, we're well, always protective of HR organizations. We're very constrained in, in resources and talent and people. Um, there are chatbots that I think are highly effective for what they were implemented for, but they probably aren't, um, in, they're not effective, I would say, for all functional areas uh, in terms of converting traffic. So I, you know, I reviewed one for, uh, I guess it was a pharmaceutical company. And apparently the conversions for what they were looking for were very high. However, if you start really playing with that chatbot and you're interested in other functional roles, um, the, the solution, I would agree with you, um, wasn't great and in fact created more confusion and could lead uh, uh, folks down the wrong road. But, but it, for the function I think it was implemented for, which was quite frankly converting um, Biotech talent actually was uh, worthwhile. So it's always the, you know, all of us, whenever we think about this technology, we'll have to make, we're make we'll have to make trade-offs. And I can talk a little bit about our own experience. I think when we first thought about AI, ML, and, and all of this, I think we first asked the question of whether or not we thought a machine could do what a sorcerer could do. I think a lot of folks take for granted their respective organizations, the character dynamics that exist within, uh, within particular companies, and um, just assume that they can implement some sort of technology and it'll work. So 
um, we first uh, invested in sort of research and whether or not you know a, she- a machine would actually add value. Um, and so um, you know, so we call it a GLM, says generalized linear module, and uh, you know, basically we um, we were feeding information through surveys and it's very, very manual. So the first thing was I had to ask people, uh, to manually go through and take folks that took surveys and sort of, uh, feed them through this, um, this GLM that we sort of constructed. Um, and then at the end of it, we were able to leverage that solution to see if it could start to predict what kind of talent it would match. And so for us, that was sort of a, um, an understanding of whether or not we had, had validated it into it, had validated profiles for these roles and whether or not a machine could actually work in terms of what we do. And I, I just say first, don't take for granted that AI, ML, uh, machine learning will work in your environment. Um, you, you, you probably should test it first, and that's what we did. That's a very manual process. Yeah. Um, to kind of go through and and understand, and it's also very time consuming. I was happy because we looked at specifically at the um, untapped pool of talent that we don't usually go after that black hole. Uh, the good news is eighty five percent of all the applicants uh, had been had been reviewed and gone through the process. The bad part of it is, is the nature of which we designed it forced us to manually extract the data, essentially put it in, in a database where we could review it and determine whether or not um, we were on the right track. Um, so then you're using additional resources. You're saying, I need you to do extra time in determining what is a good resume or a bad resume. You have to take extra time um, managing these surveys and reviewing that uh, extra time, leveraging new technology to test out whether or not you're on the right track. Once we got there though, we were able to quite frankly validate profiles and then you can build algorithms. Um, but like anything with this machine learning, uh, it needs data to learn, it needs a lot of data to learn. So then you have to go back and, and start retesting things. And yeah. so what we ultimately came up with is uh, it could match what a sourcer does at about 80%. Um, and imagine, 80, uh, so it's an 80% match. So if we matched up with what a recruiter would say is a good resume versus a bad resume, um, 80% of the time it was identifying um, the good resumes. Um, and we felt like, look, that was um, directly correct. That was sort of, uh, I mean, we could fine tune it over time. So we were pretty enthusiastic about it. The um, the results just on doing that piece of um, of the work um, were were pretty astounding. What it what the solution uh, did for us is it reviewed about six thousand resumes and basically uh, suggested that they weren't matches for the kinds of talent we were looking for. Huh. Um, so it was it was well over. I think it was like 90% of the applicants that applied were, were not qualified for our technical roles. It's a large number. 
actually. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty significant. And so, you know, but it gives you a sense for what happens with that large, uh, that black hole, the, this applicant pool that comes in, significant number of folks. Um, but the other way to look at it is 10% is qualified. And so right. that, uh, that's a pretty big number based on the volume of, of resumes, if you will, that are coming in. So well, you're, 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 significant. you're talking about tapping into, so we're not talking about the gold medalists or the silver medalists or the bronze medalists. It's sort of the, the nonce medalists, like people that normally get completely overlooked and, and using some sort of recruiting automation. And because of high volume, right, when they come in, I mean, you're talking about organizations that get 40, 50, 60,000 candidates a month, there's just no way a human being can go through that type of volume anyway. That's right. So, so what, what you're looking, I think, what I hear you saying is you're looking to tackle is one of the issues, whereas recruiters are sometimes forced to present uh, not necessarily the 10 most qualified candidates, but present maybe just the 10 last qualified uh, that come in because it becomes a volume game. It is, it does. That's right. What we found for the learning from that, going through that process, uh, is that the solution would work. It can match, ultimately. Uh, the speed of hire increased, I'm sorry, decreased by nine days. Speed of hire decreased by uh, nine days. Um, and then there was a 48-point lift in NPS. And that's largely candidates that went with absolutely no contact suddenly were getting contacted. Um, so just apparently by contacting them and simply saying that you're not qualified is enough. Uh, uh, getting That's some powerful. How many, wait, how many points? I just, okay, robots killed nine, nine days, but what, what's the NPS lift again? 48, 48 point lift. That's wow. huge. That's yeah. freaking huge. Yeah. And if I wore a third glass, I might have dropped a different F-bomb for huge because that's huge. <laughs> so that was great. But you know where I'm on? I'm on the, the Holy Grail for me is great talent, right? So yeah. it's, uh, isn't that awesome? And then uh, I'm thinking of, but I, it's for, like I'm solving for quality, right? Like my number one thing is quality. Matching's great. Reducing all that stuff is great. I want quality. How do we find you got 99 problems in volume? I would also argue, though, that that by increasing your NPS of those who did not get hired, you're increasing the likelihood that those individuals will connect you to those who have higher quality. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And the ask has been, uh, let's go see if they would actually. So you get this NPS score, right? But it, the question is, would you refer someone? And, and that's one of those things I've asked our team to go in uh, and test. I don't have results back from that, but that's something I want us uh, uh, to look at and test as well. Um, and and we'll, see, we'll see if that, if that really goes anywhere. I, I mean, I would agree. I think, I think we're not leveraging the amount of affinity that we can create by treating people well especially those that we do not hire because we when you think about it in our careers we, we have not hired hundreds of thousands of people yeah. <laughs> who've been interested that's right we've not always been as good at that as we could be um, or trained our recruiters to be good at rejection it's not what they're set up to do but if we figured out how to do that, we conceivably can 
lower the friction of how we recruit in the future because we have so many people who are positive about us who have not yet been hired, if you will. Well, I'm hopeful that that um, could materialize for us um, and, and for other companies. That's the whole, I think that's the holy grail behind a great experience um, why can, uh, for candidates in particular. Um, it is. That's the windmill we're, we're fighting, but I think we're going to have to measure it and demonstrate that it's a business value mm-hmm. long term. And that seems to me to be something that you're heavily engaged in. Right. Well, we measure the value. It generates. We know that we can generate, quite frankly, business, uh, additional business and growth uh, for applicants to come and, and have a good experience for us. For sure. And, and it's yeah. not lost on anybody here. I think that um, recruiting is now looking at AI and, and ML machine learning and the implementation of bots to bring the humanity aspect back into recruiting, mm-hmm. which seems a little crazy to me. Uh, I mean, I, or I, it, maybe it's ironic. I don't know. But I, I mean, I love the aspect of freeing the recruiters up and, and being able to to allow uh, you know candidates to feel like they've been more more engaged uh, a lot through the process, but the fact that we're bringing in elements of recruiting automation to make that a reality, right? I think that would be great if we can if we can get to that place. I mean, so in the sh- there's this short term and long term version of all of this. The short term is that it can that AI technology, this holy grail, will do everything. It'll source candidates. It'll evaluate them. It will move them through and automate some interview kind of process, onboard them, right, and and let them know how they're doing along uh, the way. Then the question becomes, what is the role of recruiting and sourcing and and what have you, uh, I don't know, 15 years from now? And then then there's sort of the today, uh, being practical about it. What are the, you know, what can AI do for us and what will it take uh, to get there in the short term? Yep. Um, and, um, and where are we? Um, the reality is that today, um, most HR organizations are constrained. Um, most HR organizations don't have great data or a lot of data or instrument data in a way that uh, they really can leverage AI technology. Some companies are. Um, it, and it seems to me that first, uh, the, you know, Chief people officers are going to have to bring in system architects, product leaders, uh, heavy heavy data oriented folks. Rethink the experience. Rethink how they're architecting technology so that they can leverage data and create um, experiences, but actually leverage things like a technology, uh, if you will, to get to get to this place. Um, where they're creating a humanized experience while also evaluating evaluating the talent. Now, you know, I think into it as a as a TA organization, it's a fairly robust budget. We are, um, I think, pretty uh, thoughtful about how we're leveraging technology. But yet, I would say we're we're a ways away. I mean, we've invested in in technology internally. We're continuing to invest uh, in AI technology. But it's a, it is a long road. And for leaders, you have to have conviction and multi-year conviction. It's the right road to go down. Every year, I have to sort of resell or every quarter sell to recruiters. You're going to have to do more with less. But hold on. Down the road will be 
this new technology with a better experience for you. Things on the top of the funnel will be automated. Uh, down the line, things uh, will match in such a way that will make your job um, far simpler um, and far more streamlined so you're not sort of mired in uh, some of the traditional recruiting areas. Um, and so making that multi-year trade-off, asking a team to do more with less is, is, is significant strain. But, you know, for leaders who have, who have a vision, strong conviction, uh, and talk to it, you can keep a team um, engaged and supportive of, um, you know, uh, of the path that you're going down. I think the other, you know, I'll just share my learning with all of this is ensuring that the team is involved in all of the experiments, uh, ensuring that they're a part of it, that they can give feedback to uh, these new um, foreigners in talent acquisition. Foreigners would be like product managers and uh, software developers that aren't usually in a TA organization. Who are these people? What are they doing? Uh, oh, they're making something that's going to make my life easier and working really closely with them becomes really important. Um, that they can see along the way both um, some of the stumbles where you scrape your knees and, and things fall down and be a part of that just as well and, um, and quite frankly embrace the learnings from it just, and being along the journey for, for, the, for the successes is important in ensuring uh, that they're bought into um, all that's happening around them. And so, so when you think about when you think about how uh, recruiting will evolve, obviously there's a lot on the side that everything from uh, the technology folks, the analysts, the branding folks, the operations folks that you have off to the side that are really creating really the new the new version of talent acquisition. How how is the recruiters evolution changing? I mean, if you had, if you had advice for a recruiter today who says, I really love, you know, the game of recruiting, if you will, I would like to make that more, less of a job, more of a career. What would you tell them that they need to learn? And we're already seeing this in some industries that we can learn from. Um, I think it's in the medical industry and I'm trying to remember the company. Um, well, look, we can learn from medical industry. Uh, what, what's transpired is that the machine learning can now diagnose, um, you know, a patient's issue, right? They can diagnose right. a patient. And, uh, it used to be that doctors, um, were taught how to diagnose. Well, they no longer, um, have a monopoly on that. In fact, now machines can do that and are, are far more accurate. So what is the role now of a doctor? Well, quite frankly, it's consulting. It's consulting with their patients. And increasingly hospitals are looking at or assessing doctors for their ability to consult because what they used to do was diagnose. Well, right. is that different in talent acquisition? It used to be we'd evaluate people on their ability to source and get certain people interested from certain companies. Well, it, you know, it's plausible in the future that technology is going to do that for you. So what is your role? I think then you become uh, more of a consultant to the business and or the individual that's looking at the opportunity. 
I think that's fabulous. That that is an extraordinary point of view. That if we took that medical model and we looked at um, the recruiter's role as not only being a better advisor for the hiring manager and in relation to the business mm-hmm. that they've got to solve, but also to the candidate in making a better decision for themselves, I think I think we have a potentially an extraordinary shift in the competencies needed by a recruiter. A hundred percent. And I, I think that's the big major shift. And when we talk about skills of the future, at least within our organization, uh, there's this short-term and long-term. Long-term, people have to really understand brand marketing. You want to exhibit um, your brand throughout the entire process. And so how does that show through from a recruiting perspective? Um, there's, I think you become a talent strategist and consultant. You're now talking to the business about uh, what kind of talent you want, but it could be even gig talent, full-time talent to um, how is your organization set up, right? Um, so it doesn't have, it can be sort of atypical contingent talent model, if you will, um, where, um, you know, uh, more menial things are being done by giggers, you know, and different things are done by contingent and and core work done by full-time folks. And you're consulting on that while consulting with uh, the talent that you're considering. Um, And I don't know, maybe that's more just, you have to understand the overall architecture and org design of a group and be able to consult. And so I I think that's what happens down the line. I think in the short term, our organizations, uh, they definitely need to be data oriented in order to go through this process and understand um, how to, um, I would just say, instrument the technology that you have so you can kind of go through that um, evolution. Um, I think that you need people to be more like product leaders and really think through the experience they're trying to do so they're not implementing We talked about chatbots. They're not implementing chatbots that aren't thought through end-to-end in terms of the experience that they're uh, creating for people. I think we finally have have technology that gets us to that place to be able to to really sort of uh, cultivate that that elusive talent advisor role. I mean, we've been talking about for almost a decade Mm -hmm. uh, as TA leaders trying to to create talent advisors out of our people. But unfortunately, the, the whole doing less with more campaign uh, that a lot of us are forced to manage doesn't really foster that type of culture internally. So we, we want you to be a talent advisor, but yeah, I need you to still handle, you know, 30 recs and I'm still going to need you to do all this stuff you did before, but just advise your ass off and you're going to be a talent advisor. It's going to be fantastic. And talent advisors never incorporated being a talent advisor for the candidate to be able to make a better decision for themselves as well. So yeah, I think but- fundamentally as we start talking about, um, uh, equity and pay. I mean, right now we have a big conversation about pay equity uh, in relation to candidates themselves. We, we have to ask ourselves much more about the kinds of conversations we have to have with candidates that help them better understand who we are and the transparency we can provide so that they can make a better decision for themselves. And I, I think we're moving in that direction. 
So I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty exciting right now. I get, so, so guys, I am three quarters of the way through my bottle uh, of, of Justin Isosceles. My teeth are, are purple. Uh, my lips are blue. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> why don't, Jerry, we'll start with you. Why don't you, why don't you take us out on a, on a one feedback? You know, if you could do a tweet, which is now what, 280 characters, 480 characters, whatever it is. Take us out with a statement on the wine and take us out with a statement on, uh, on AI. Well, I think that the, the, the wine is deep. It's dark. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think we've, we've, uh, we've gone to a, another level here in terms of how that conversation ought to take place from a, uh, from a recruiting point of view, I'm I'm fascinated by uh, the technology that we have out there, and I think it's as as we talked last last week, it's gone from uh, tools that help us understand a basic awareness of what people are interested in uh, to developing some kinds of conceptions and ideas about what what really works in recruiting and in, in the kind of assessments that take place long-term. And I just love the fact that we have talent acquisition leaders like Nick and others who are very much focused on trying to build that kind of bridge uh, between candidates and employers. And so this is a, a fun time. I think it's a great place uh, for people to want to be. And uh, I, I really look forward to the next couple of years. Jerry nailed it in 279 characters. So, uh, so I'll, I'll go next because I want Nick to go last. Uh, I think from a wine perspective, I'm still getting uh, notes of uh, tobacco and leather, but I don't care as much uh, when I'm almost through the bottle. It's great. It's still, it's still one of my favorite. It's still one of my favorites. I was glad you Little plum, you know. Uh, I, from a from a topical standpoint, I have to say that um, automation, recruiting automation, uh, is going to be a bigger a bigger topic, a bigger delivery. I think in 2018 and into 2019, than the whole thing around AI and bots and ML, and it'll get there. The technology supports that, but I think with and, and you know to just sort of echo what um, what Jerry said, and at the risk of sounding like we're in a Nick Maley fan club meeting, but. I think with leaders like you, Nick, that are sort of pushing this stuff and, it, and it's with a purpose behind it. It's not just because everybody else is doing it. It's not because it's a trend that's now the cost of doing business. It's because you're, you're really looking to step things up uh, to enable recruiters to be faster and more awesome, more quickly and easier. Uh, I think that's going to be the next big thing we see for this. So I'll turn it to you, Nick. Uh, one, on, one on the wine and one on the topic before we close out. Uh, one on the wine. So. Uh... I think I said when we started, whenever I drink the, the wine, I think about being, um, you know, with family and people I love and uh, love being with you guys. Uh, always have a great, uh, great time. Um, and uh, the community, quite frankly, that you've created uh, is amazing. Uh, anytime interact with, with you and folks uh, in the community, I'm learning. Um, and, you know, from an industry perspective, we're continuing to, to grow and evolve. Uh, in this area, you know, it's fun. It's topical. I, I am so enthusiastic and excited about uh, where we can go, uh, where this industry is going. 
um, the, the technology, I think you're right, automation, AI uh, stuff has, um, has, I think, profound, um, you know, implications. And, um, but they're all things that I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, not uh, fearful of. And, and I hope that other leaders are as well. It does, um, it allows us to, it, it will, I would say, accelerate the kind of work we do, allow us to evolve. Um, be more consultative in the future. It ultimately will accelerate business outcomes. Lots of reasons for us to be excited, but know that going down that road, um, I just say more zig and zag than sort of up into the right. Um, there are trade-offs you have to make as a leader, um, but courage of your convictions over time, you'll get to a place um, where... Um, you know, you will see much stronger outcomes from a business perspective and, and um, I, great experiences for, you know, the peop, your customers as well as candidates. So thank you. Good thank stuff. you. Well done. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. I, I still have a, a bottle here because I'm in the middle of the day and uh, <laughs> more meetings enough to get back to work. So uh, yes, yes. It's the end of the day for me. Of course it is. It, it certainly is the end of the day for me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Career Crossroads Uncorked. Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin look forward to sharing more drinks and conversation with you next time. Until then, cheers.